Chapter 11 When One Door Closes Most people miss opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. Thomas Edison George owned one of the largest mental health services companies in Nevada. There were about 200 individuals in his program, and they were housed in 50 or so rental properties in the Las Vegas area. His problem was with the property manager he had at the time. Nobody liked the guy, including George. There were complaints from the tenants that he was never around when they needed him. So George wanted me to replace him. Why don't you get your real estate license, George suggested. Then you can be my property manager. You'd get 10% out of every rent check. Think it over. I didn't have to think too long or too hard about it. My weight loss business was a bust, and it was definitely time for something new. Although I knew it would take me some time and effort to get the license, I figured it would be worth it in the end. I'll do it. What I didn't realize was that it would cost me a nice chunk of change, too. $2,000 to be exact. Money I didn't have, but you know how the saying goes, you gotta spend money to make money. I figured that held true for this situation as well, and jumped in feet first. When I go in, I go all in. I drained my savings account and begged and borrowed the rest. Suddenly back in a classroom situation, Chris, the straight-A student, was back with a vengeance. I took my classes, aced my exams, and passed the tests with flying colors. In the end, I was a new man, a licensed real estate agent, ready to plunge into my new career. And I had a guaranteed job waiting for me too, because George kept true to his word and immediately set me up as his new property manager. With a mixture of relief and excitement, I settled into my new position and waited for the checks to start rolling in. Then the phone rang, and rang, and rang, and rang again. I came to hate the job almost immediately. The damn tenants complained about anything and everything, all the time. As soon as I took care of one complaint, five others took its place. It didn't take me long to realize why the previous property manager was MIA all the time, and I wondered if he really was or if all the complaintaholics just said he was. Even though I was only managing three properties to begin with, the way they busted my ass all day and night, it might as well have been 300. So when I found out that I would eventually be expected to manage all 50 properties by myself, I quit. Reading all of that, you might now be wondering why I then continued to pursue a career in real estate. Two reasons. In the first place, I'd invested too much time and money into getting my license to not at least try to make it work. Two grand was a shit ton of money for me at that time, and I was not going to let it go to waste. And in the second place, property management wasn't the only thing I could do with my license. There were other things I could try, like buying and selling. When a door closes, open it again. It's a door, that's what they do. But just as I was finding my footing in the world of real estate, the ground below me seemed to give way. Again. When the cat's away. The first thing to give out from under me was my life with baby. After her health took a downward turn, I ended up having to put my faithful companion to sleep. That loss hit me pretty hard. The next thing to go was my relationship with Jessica. I have this friend, she said. His girlfriend kicked him out of the house and he needs a place to stay, so I'm gonna let him sleep on the couch. It was alright with me, it was her house, her friend. A few days later, Jessica announced that she and her friend were going to try to start a business together. This was also fine by me. I was just entering the world of real estate, and I didn't have time for other entrepreneurial ventures. Besides, I knew how headstrong Jessica could be, and how she was ever on the alert for business opportunities. It sounded to me like she was just doing her thing, as usual, while I was doing mine. 
But then she began not coming to bed at night, and that was unusual. At the end of the day, instead of joining me in the bedroom to sleep, she would remain in the living room with her friend, working on their business. This awkwardness went on for about two weeks before I finally got the picture and decided to pack up my shit and go. It was time, and we both knew it. A mutual friend of ours suggested I talk to her friend who was living alone. She referred me to Donovan, who didn't need to rent out a room, but since he had one to spare, took pity on me and let me into his home. He didn't know me and didn't have to do it, so it was really cool of him to welcome me like that. What was even cooler was that, although I was only renting that one room, I pretty much had full use of the entire house. Not that I utilized it though, I was very respectful and kept to my room and an occasional trip to the kitchen to refuel. This was because Donovan worked nights and was asleep when I was awake. Ours became a ships-that-pass-in-the-night kind of deal. This enabled me to use the house as an oasis of sorts, with time and space to reflect on my life and to reconfigure my plans for the future. I owe Donovan a world of gratitude, for he provided me with a much-needed safe harbor in the midst of yet another personal shitstorm. And I ended up appreciating that harbor even more when, while scrolling through Facebook a mere two weeks after I moved out, I discovered that Jessica had changed her relationship status to married. I remember staring at the screen and thinking, what the fuck? Yes, she had married her friend in a courthouse wedding. The shock hit me pretty hard. I felt both kicked out of the house and kicked in the gut. She'd been with this guy the whole time I was there. It was hard for me to wrap my brain around it, let alone the fact that because of it, I'd been reduced to living in a 10 by 10 bedroom, furnished with only a full-size bed, a borrowed desk, and an office chair all of which I had financed for $350 from the local furniture store. Yes, I said financed, as in, I had to take a loan from the furniture store for $350. I nursed my wounds for about two weeks, but that was all it took. Because after those 14 days passed, I suddenly found myself feeling better than I had in a long time. I felt freer and more at peace with myself and with my life than I had in many, many years. It began to dawn on me that our breakup, and even how it happened, was all for the best. I could feel myself moving into a new phase in my life, and I just knew I was going to be okay, that my future was filled with infinite possibilities even, or at least with the book Infinite Possibilities by Mike Dooley, because after I read and studied that book, my life would be changed forever. What about you? Let's talk about time and space. First, have you ever been in a relationship that failed? If you have, has enough time passed that you're able to look back on it and see all the gifts it brought you? While it's true that at the time I felt betrayed, not to mention devastated when Jessica ran off with another guy and essentially kicked me to the curb, when I now think back on our time together, I'm able to see past the hurt enough to appreciate the journey that it was. And I can honestly say that the pain was all worth it because it took me to where I needed to be next. In fact, it was a huge turning point in my life. If you're still nursing the pain of a failed relationship, I suggest that instead of using up your energy on hating your ex or plotting revenge, you convert it into fuel to improve your own life and make yourself better and stronger through positive action. After all, as much as you want it to be so, there is no guarantee that your significant other is going to love you for the rest of your natural life. The best thing to do then is to make sure that at least you love yourself for the rest of your life. This means self-care. Although most people might have seen my living in a rinky-dink room that I could barely afford in a relative stranger's home while nearing my midlife to be a huge fall from grace, instead, I was able to see it as more of a fall into grace, or a grace period. 
On the outside, I appeared to be a struggling single man in a handkerchief-sized room. But looks can be deceiving. I was living in the lap of luxury, actually. The luxury of time and space. Most people don't get that. A sanctuary free from the noise in which to sit and reflect on your past, refocus on your present, and rebuild yourself from the inside out to face your future. So what about you? What are ways you can take time and make space for yourself? Keeping a journal can be one method of self-care. Hopefully you've been writing in some kind of notebook while reading this book and taking notes. So many of us are busy to the point of being overwhelmed, but one method of keeping a journal is simply to write in it before you go to bed to help you sift through the day's thoughts. So many of us are reading articles, playing video games, or catching up on social media before going to bed. We act like our phones are super glued to our hands, but in the same way that you can waste time on your phone, you can carve out 15 much more fruitful minutes to write in a journal, especially if that helps you think. I don't have a great memory. I know I've written a whole book of memories here, but my short-term memory and my memory for details could be a lot better. I find that writing things down is one of the quickest and easiest ways to not forget. At least, it's a great help for me when I do forget things. It helps me to sit with my thoughts and in a small way, recreate that sanctuary space I had at Donovan's. Without the time I had there to sit and reflect in silence and stillness, I would not have had the 180-degree turn that got me where I am today. That's why I recommend some form of recollection and reflection. Meditation is another form of self-care, and there are many different ways in which to practice it. I personally love it. Some people prefer to meditate in silence. Others prefer a musical accompaniment of some kind. Some practice contemplative prayer. Others do yoga. Some people go on weekend retreats in the country. Still others prefer the more cosmopolitan experience of a pampering spa day. These are all forms of self-care, and you should do the ones that feel best to you. What's especially good about them all is that they mean taking time out for yourself. Everybody needs time and space just for themselves, even the most social, goal-oriented person, maybe them most of all, actually. We must all learn to be comfortable with just ourselves, just as we are for company. Self-care is kind of like spiritual, emotional, or mental hydration. Physically, the average human being is at least 60% water. This is why we cannot survive without water for more than three days. We need to keep ourselves replenished. But more than drinking a glass of water, taking the time to meditate or for some other form of self-care is like digging your own personal well to ensure that you'll always have water whenever you need it. Just think about the word well. If you want to be well, stay well, or do well, be sure to make me time. It's what I discovered after doing it for myself. It cleared my head sharpened my focus, and gave me the energy I needed to not only go forward, but to do so well that I could ultimately be called well-off. Some people will come into your life as blessings, others as lessons. An interview with Donovan McIntosh, 20-year law enforcement veteran, army veteran, entrepreneur. This book is not just about recovering from our business failures, but our relationship failures as well. This advice goes out to those readers who have gone through a breakup, are going through one right now, or who may go through one in the future. This one's for you. Success in both business and life can be yours. Just hang in there. Listen to what my friend Donovan has to say about it. What really sticks out is my failed marriage, being separated from my wife for two years, and the misery and heartbreak that I experienced. And I recall praying and hoping that we would get back together. There were a lot of things that I wanted to change and a lot of things that I wanted to improve on. And I remember feeling guilty 
because I felt like it's the man's job to determine the success or the failure of a relationship. It was a huge, huge failure for me. And so, after getting divorced, I still prayed, and I still kind of wished that things would work out. Within months after our divorce was finalized, we would run into each other in church and talk. And then all the stars aligned, and the next thing I know, we go back to living together. I thought it was good. I thought it was going to give me an opportunity to right some wrongs and try to do some things differently. So I jumped back in with both feet, and unbeknownst to me, the feeling wasn't mutual. I wound up wasting a lot of time, wasting a lot of money, and getting back into a failed relationship that ended miserably, worse than before. And it almost cost me my job, my livelihood, and thousands and thousands of dollars we wasted. It was definitely a lesson. However, had I not gone through that experience, I wouldn't have the knowledge and the wherewithal to ask certain questions to determine the outcome of the relationship or to pretty much dictate the pace. You know, to not let someone else's needs or desires dictate the pace of the relationship, so it actually set me up to be better for someone else. It was a great learning lesson for me, because I learned what I wanted. And I learned what I was not willing to accept. And I think in this particular situation, I'd thrown out all of my wants and desires and dreams and hopes and aspirations to accommodate someone else. And it backfired and wasted a lot of time. So for me, it was a learning lesson, and it made me a stronger man. When it failed, it felt like true, true heartbreak. It wasn't like, you know, on to the next one. It was an actual heartbreak. It was depression. I went through multiple, multiple stages of the emotional roller coaster where there was guilt, I blamed myself, I was angry. It took a long time for me to accept the fact that we didn't share a common goal. We didn't have each other's best interests at heart, and I was pretty much being used, so to speak. The best way I can put it is that I went through all the hurtful stages of any emotional breakup, including depression. And the depression is what I'll say spawned a completely other side of me that I thought was put to rest. I tried to fill that void, so to speak, and it wasn't necessarily with quality, it was with quantity. And in turn, I wound up doing to other people what was done to me. So it was a huge, huge learning lesson. I wasn't in a position of being in a relationship. I was just trying to fill a void by any means necessary. And so, I created a revolving door with whatever and whoever, just to check a box. It was a dark time, because ultimately, all I wanted to do was be with the person that I wanted to be with for the rest of my life, and it didn't work. So out of anger and frustration and humility and disappointment, I took it out on the world. What benefit did you end up getting out of that, or end up achieving as a result of all those learning experiences and going through all that perceived failure? I learned a couple of things. Number one, I can be happy on my own. I don't need to juggle a squadron of females to be happy. It took me to a place where I needed to be happy on my own in order to make other people happy. I wasn't really happy, so I disappointed a lot of people. So it taught me to take care of and love myself before attempting to love others. That was the biggest lesson that I learned throughout that entire experience. Do you think you would have gotten to the point where you are now? where you've learned to love yourself, respect yourself, and live on your own if you'd not gone through that relationship failure in the first place? Absolutely not. I think my head was so far up my ex-wife's behind that I couldn't see the forest for the trees. I was just blinded by what I thought was true love, and it wasn't. Probably I would have just hung in there to try to make it work as long as humanly possible. Do you think you're going to be happier as a result of the lessons you've learned than you would have been if that dream actually worked out? Yeah, I'm happier now. I am happy now. 
I understand my self-worth. I love myself. I don't have to have a revolving door, and I don't need to have a squadron of females to define me, or my worth, or my love. What advice would you give to someone who may have gone through a similar situation, or didn't achieve their dream or their goal? What advice would you give to them at the time it's happening? Never underestimate the power of prayer. Everything is in God's hands. Some people will come into your life as lessons, and some people will come into your life as blessings. It's up to you to decide what type of person they are, which can ultimately decide the future you have with this person moving forward. Just as Donovan was able to unwrap all the gifts that past relationship had given him, I too learned to be grateful for all that I learned through my ultimately failed relationship with Jessica. And once I accepted those lessons, I found it not only easier to look forward to my future, but to believe that the best was yet to come. And I would not be disappointed.